Well, everybody knows what happens on Friday. It's time to go inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Savalero. And with me always is the man of the hour. Too sweet to be sour. Ladies know he's the man with the power. Kelly Grayson, KG, how are you? Man, you, you kill me with the with the references. I'm good, brother. I'm uh I'm the the perils and and trials of being a homeowner homeowner once again. It's just doing my thing, doing what you know, contractors but, and plumbers wouldn't. You know, but that's the thing, right? Though you put the money into the house, and then hopefully at the end, when you decide to, uh, you know, sell it to somebody else, you are able to uh, pad the retirement account. Yeah, hopefully so. Now, hopefully it'll, it'll make a good investment for somebody when we sell this thing and Nancy and I uh, buy our RV and live our bohemian retirement lifestyle. Is that what you want to do? You want to travel RV? Either, either we're going to get an RV or we're going to we're going to, to be expatriates somewhere, probably in the Dominican Republic or something like that. You know, a have, a, have a little be. jet ski rental and a, and a shack and maybe do concierge medicine for the people at the resorts or something along those lines. Very nice, man. That's a great little plan. You know, I just, just plan on being an underachiever the rest of my life. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Kelly, I, yeah, great. I mean, another great show we have planned here. And I don't know. Uh, I'm sure everybody has read it, read it from the show notes. So uh, I'm excited now. But you know what's coming What's really awesome about our career field is that when you and I first started out in this, you know, combined, we have, what, 60 some odd years of EMS mm -hmm. experience, and I only have 10, so you've got 50. But um, one <laughs> of the things that's really been awesome is that over the past 10 or 15 years, we've started to see so much growth in our career field. We've started to see people getting jobs, you know, a la Ray Baroshansky, who's the, uh, you know, secretary, deputy secretary of health in Pennsylvania. And, you know, people are now getting into, uh, you know, EMTs are now getting into politics. And, you know, Bruce Evans, who's the NAMT president, is doing a great job of convincing and coaxing EMS providers to go into state, local, and federal government. And, but we're starting to see more and more authors. And, I'm really excited today, Kelly, to bring on an author out of this out of the city of New York. And her book, First Responder, A Memoir, Life, Death, and Love of New York City Frontliners by Jennifer Murphy. Jennifer, I want to welcome you to the Inside EMS podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. I got to tell you, I mean, as I mentioned to you before we started, I did get a copy of the book and I just wanted to sit down a little bit and just kind of read uh, just a little bit of context so I would be a little bit smarter to interview you today. It wasn't a picture book, so Kelly couldn't get any insight. But, I mean, <laughs> and, and, I, and I read 215 pages like that. I mean, it, it flowed so well. I think you've got a number one bestseller on your hands. But I think my first question to you is, what was the catalyst for writing this book? Well, I'm a, I'm a writer by trade. Writing has always been my life's great love. And for years, I've been writing novels, you know, and, and fiction and trying to tell really difficult stories kind of about my life fictionally. And then last year, and, it, and by the way, that wasn't working. I'm 45 years old. I've been writing for, you know, most of my adult life. And it just kind of nothing was really landing. And last spring, as an, I, I ride as a volunteer EMT with Park Slope Volunteer Ambulance Corps in Brooklyn. And when COVID started kind of infiltrating the system and bubbling up in New York. Um, once, once the sirens started and it really started exploding here, I started to feel like it's time to tell these stories straight. We're seeing the unspeakable. And it's also um, a disaster where e it's, a, it's an EMS emergency by and large, you know, and 
I started to feel like we were seeing things that differed very greatly from what people trapped at home were seeing on TV. And even what the family members allowed to see, because of course the contagion is lethal. And I think one of the most agonizing aspects as a first responder was having to separate people who'd gone you know, to great lengths to kind of have their critically ill sick family members die at home. We had to come in and, and take them out of the home and they didn't get to see what happened inside the ambulance or go sit bedside at a hospital. So I started to feel very responsible for telling these stories. Jennifer, in, in reading the the press release for your book, COVID plays a large role in it, and and uh, but it doesn't start there. And I'm wondering, you know, as a as an author, uh, memoir author myself, um, uh, one of the things that I've I've always hated about the EMS uh, book genre was the "Look at me, I'm a hero" syndrome, or Same. or "Love me, see how I see how I, I bleed." Um, how much of yourself, uh, and in, in reading the first few chapters of your book on, on Kindle right now, uh, I'm seeing that, that it doesn't fit that genre. It, it's not the look at me, I'm a hero book. How much of yourself do you put into this book, and, and how difficult was that for you? I, I, I'm on your same side. I, I, ha I share a great hatred for the hero narrative. Um, yeah. I think it's it's... It's a very unfortunate narrative, and, and it does a lot of damage to first responders in a few ways. The first is that, as we all know, we're all on the street together. The disaster happens to the group, and saving lives and helping the critically injured and sick is the job. So I've always found it quite embarrassing when people kind of say, oh, I'm the singular hero, or I did this great heroic thing, because it's just the job. And you'll hear most seasoned rescuers when, when the public lauds them as heroes. They'll say, it's the, I'm just, it's the job. And the other thing is, is it really lets the public off the hook by making us seem like we're these extraordinary superhuman people who are really doing kind of um, salvational work. When in fact, yeah. I mean, if I can become an EMT, any, like I'm a writer, <laughs> I'm a desk person. I like to read books and plant flowers and bake, bake cupcakes. Like I'm not uh, <laughs> some tough, salty, you know, hard guy who's working in the field. And so it was very important um, to me to write against that narrative for all of us. And also I wanted to put a tremendous amount of my life in the book because first of all, most of the people I date and who are closest to my heart are also first responders in some capacity. And the, the way that we live our lives and the things that we see in the field and on the street, they change the way you see the world and the way you move around and the kind of choices you make. And I, and I wanted people to feel like you know, it's not really fair of me to write a book about all of these patients and share their most intimate stories, but you're not going to see my intimate stories. Again, yeah. that's kind of like, let's collapse that hero, um, the, the kind of savior and the victim narrative. And we're all, we're all out there together. And everybody in EMS knows it's a tremendously intimate job. Yeah. Yeah. Right. As Hemingway wrote, you know, uh, Writing's easy. All you have to do is sit at the typewriter and bleed. Yeah, I bled. And and it was yeah. very, very, it was very difficult because, you know, we were all working on the ambulance. I was in a quite luxurious position compared to most of the nation's EMTs and paramedics who are mandated to work. And I had a choice, which was a great privilege. And, and 
I also, but the difficulty of writing, as you both know, because you're writers as well, is in order to make the public feel what it's like beyond the ambulance and feel what it's like to be with the patients, you have to re-experience it. You have to go through it on the street and then you have to sit at your desk and go through it again. No tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. And this is a book which I hope will really make people laugh because as we also know, it's kind of clown town out there. There's so many things that go wrong and it's hilarious mm -hmm. and feel the camaraderie and the love, but also feel the heartbreak and the, the violence and the, and the terror and all of it, all of it, all of it. You know, so one of the things that I think I, I got from it as I was reading it was how it flowed. And I thought, I think that that really went well, but from the very beginning, Jennifer, were you, were you kind of in the, you know, the preface where you kind of set this book up, you know, you kind of talk about this story of this emergency in Park Slope that really kind of hits home. And maybe you could just share a little bit about that opening of the book with the readers. Sure. I wanted to, I think as, as both of you have picked up on, I think as part of the spirit of the book and kind of immediately telling readers, this is going to be different. This is going to be a different kind of story than what we're used to getting. I wanted to open with one of my more humiliating moments on the street, which I think is every rescuer's humiliating moment, dropping a patient, freezing on scene. And, you know, as most paramedics know, like doing things that might accidentally jeopardize a patient's well-being. These are grave humiliations for a first responder. And we never get to see that. And it happens all the time. It happens to fire. It happens to cop. It happens to rescuers. And so I was like, you know, let me start off. And it also kind of, it tells you who my book is for because every EMT and pair of every mm -hmm. first responder has been on the street. And if they haven't frozen themselves, they've been on the scene when somebody is a frozen ice pop. And it's, you see that all the time. So somebody sees their first DOA or their first cardiac arrest or their first, for me, it was the daylight trauma. And what really threw me off um, I'm someone who works nights and I love working nights. I love the types of calls that come in at night. I love the darkness. I'm also a gigantic six foot one redhead, which I'm not a blender inner. So I like blend I, at night. It's a bit more intimate, but this, that opening of the book was broad daylight pedestrian struck by a car. It was a biker, but they all come over as nine, uh, 911 is pedestrian struck. And what made me freeze was, was, less the trauma, you know, the medical trauma, but the show, I was like, look at all these, mm -hmm. everybody is watching us. Like, this is horrifying. And the firefighters and the cops and everybody seemed like they were just at a, you know, a matinee movie and people recording us with their phones. I was like, this is horrifying. <laughs> horrifying. <laughs> I can, I can imagine, I can identify it. One of the, the biggest, uh, most difficult the uh, lines to tread as a new EMS author is is who you're writing the book for and how to straddle that line between writing it for the public and people who don't know what our profession is like and, and also making it relatable for for the people we're, we're trying to honor uh, our, our peers in EMS uh, that can be difficult and, and you see that with one of the things that struck me in, in reading the, the first couple of chapters of your book is that there are there are plenty of EMS people out there that, that want to write a book and want to write their memoirs. And they have, they have tons of heart, but very little craft. And there are very few people 
uh, EMS authors out there that that have uh, talent and craft at writing. I, I can name a few. There, there's Peter Canning. There's Michael Morse. Uh, and and you uh, meet that uh, meet that criteria as well. This is a well crafted, well put together book, and and the uh, uh, just as relevant and and uh, and poignant for for the layperson as it is for the provider. Uh, did you find it? difficult to to uh to kind of tread that line uh, how, how often did you find yourself lapsing into jargon and going well do i need to explain that to people or or that sort of thing yeah i had that problem i banged up against that a lot because i kept asking myself it was so we were in the emergency the book was written in the emergency so i think mm -hmm. you know it's an indie press so it's not a big money deal it's like a four-figure advance and so i was like okay this is a labor of love i'm doing it because i want a, a greater good story to come out of yeah. this for all of us for all of us and all of us meaning not just uh people in the field but also people at home like they i, I was like they're not getting the real story like these the politicians god bless they're not getting the real story and so I, as I was writing it, when I gave one of the first drafts to readers, um, one of my employees is a is a Marine, and he read it. And he, but he's not an EMT, right? So he comes from a, a military background, but he's not an EMT. And that he read a draft, and I remember his reactions to some of the scenes. He was like, "Wait a second, that's so unfair that there are." 20 cop cars on scene that poor guy with the the machete like that shouldn't happen to him and then I was like yeah. okay I need to unpack some of the language so I kind of tried to straddle a line where EMTs and medics would would read the book and think oh my oh oh my yeah that's that's our world I get it I'm there like this is how it happens but also so that my general readers would understand the way these calls play out because I think one of the one of the difficulties in EMS is that people I think one of the biggest pain points in the sector is that people genuinely don't understand what we do yeah and I think the problem of that partly comes from the hero narrative and Hollywood wanting to kind of do the high drama calls only I was with a paramedic yesterday who came by my house to pick up a box of books and and he really he got destroyed out there. He worked in Queens. He's in the book. And he said, I said, you know, this is a high risk book. It's really difficult to write. It, it really talks about things that people, you know, go out of their way to avoid talking about. And he said, you know, we had a TV camera on one of the trucks. And of course, the journalists always turn the camera on for the critical calls, but they'll never show the paramedic crying in the back of the truck. And no. they'll never show the eight hours that happened before that call where we were just sitting in the front, front of the truck watching Netflix on our phones and laughing. Yeah. I mean, and you really bring this out into the, into the heart of uh, being a paramedic. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to, uh, hopefully I get it right, but in reading the chapter uh, Driving Grandma, um, I think it's like the third or chapter or so, uh, you know, you really kind of talk about what's going on inside house. There's a character, her name is Rita. And uh, somebody that you're, you know, dealing with and you talk about our home and, and, you know, the roaches and the 
the lice and the bed bugs and the, you know, walking up the creepy stairs. And, you know, we've all kind of been there. And when you, when you paint this picture, it automatically puts us into the scene, right? But I think the question that I want to kind of ask you about this is when you start to think about what you're putting in the book, you know, we all have these great stories. We all have these great experiences. We all have these great laughing moments. How did you pick which ones you wanted to do? I mean, were there stories that you wanted to put in the book that didn't make it? I mean, so what was your process to run through to, you know, to, to tell these stories of these people? Yeah, it was so difficult to pick the stories. And the book is, as you, you both realize, it's very long. And so I intentionally crafted it with a very fast engine so that it would so that it people would sit down and devour it i wanted it to run like an ambulance to kind of be an emergency itself so that you can't you can't stop reading it even though you want to or, or horrible things are happening but you're also kind of giggling or crying like that everything was really kind of true to life and i think one of the hardest jobs for people in the field um who are writing books is is the question you ask how do you select because ems is episodic it's um, the stories don't necessarily attach or build to a grander, you know, narrative, which is what you want in a book for it to be kind of lasting. And for me, I had to ask myself, I had to go through my, my mind and think this patient really stayed with me. As we all know, there are runs that haunt you in the good way and the bad way. And so I had to ask myself, the question that I think every writer has to ask themselves when they're putting words on a page, why did that job stay with me? Why? Okay. So it's not the emergency. Something else is happening beneath the emergency for me emotionally, where it's hooking into my personal narrative and it's making this call echo for me in a very lasting way. So with Rita, the patient you mentioned, it was you know, it wasn't necessarily her medical history that stayed with me. We had many, many, many patients in that condition. What stayed with me with, with her was those conversations we had in that stairwell. I will never forget. It makes me get teary-eyed just thinking of it. But my first transport partners, and talk about the unsung heroes of this field. Um, my transport partners, I'll, I was rolling the stretcher backward down a ramp and Rita was very, very, very heavy. We had a bariatric stretcher and I'll never forget the first time my partner was walking behind me, one behind me, one at the foot of the stretcher. I was at the head and I felt his hand pressed against my back, guiding me down the ramp. I could start sobbing thinking about that moment for me. It, it was like, oh my God. I'm not alone. They're, these people will do, they will catch me if I fall. They're here for the patient, but they're here for me. I, this is a family. These are my people. I would do anything for them. I will put my hand on their back. Like I would, you know, all, anything that came over, I would, and I, I had known these guys that I rode with a month, a month, you know, and I loved them fiercely. When, when writing it, um, I wonder how many stories you talk about the stories you were able to pick. My personal muse is to, uh, when, when, a, when an idea occurs to me or when a particularly call affected me, I, uh, I'll, I'll leave myself a voice memo on my iPhone and then transcribe them and, and make an outline later. Uh, but, but when I write, I'll, I'll be deep into, uh, telling a story and that will remind me of another story. And the worst feeling is, is to read, 
go back and read your book after your manuscript has been submitted and go, oh, man, there was a great story that would have fit in there. Did you have any of those where you go like, oh, man, I wish I'd put that in there? Oh, so many. And unlike you guys who are like really seasoned rescuers, I'm new. I'm, I'm, I'm only, yeah. you know, this is my fourth year in the field. So, you know, at the end, end of next year will be five years, which is a really new EM, new EMT. But in New York City, you do get kind of dropped into the bathwater pretty quickly. But I, this book is, you know, almost coming in around 500 pages. And part of that is because I fought very, very, very hard to have 9-11 included in the manuscript. And yeah. I fought very hard to have years on the street before COVID hit so that the public, again, would understand that this work that we're doing when COVID started and the cowbells and the applause started, this is not new work for us. This is the job that we have been doing invisibly for years. But I think over 300 pages got cut from the book and it was very painful to cut them because I wanted to, to use my life as the kind of, you know, channel for the, the book, but I wanted to open it up to other voices from the street. I wanted you to hear from the cop who just had a jumper down and see what that, what he looks like outside the trauma room. We never get to see that. And we never get to see um, kind of fire on scene working and then departing as it happens in, in EMS in New York city, or we never get to see the, the people get sober or go to therapy or like kind of have a, have a slow night where you're just dealing with only drunk people all night, you know? So it was, it was hard. It was not hard to cut my stories. It was very hard to, to speak to my partners and people on the street and say, what are you going through? What, what calls are really lasting for you? What do you want the public to know about what's going on in the field? And when some of those stories got cut, it, it was very painful for me. You know? And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of heart wrenching stories that you have in here, Jennifer, and it really kind of, you know, speaks to who you are as an individual, because as you mentioned, it really gets to the core of your emotion, right? And the, the whole book is about emotion. It's about passion. It's about dedication. And you feel it in the words. And, and that's really a, a great strength of writing. You know, one of the questions that I love to ask authors is, you know, usually when I'm writing and and I've not done story books. I've done books on leadership development and those types of things. But I still, as I write the words, there are times where I have to sit back and just pause and say, oh my gosh, I remember when that happened. I mean, what was that for you? And what was that one story that popped out that you had to sit back and reflect on to say, I, I may need to take a minute here. Yeah, I sobbed reading this book, I have to say. I sobbed. And then I also laughed very hard. I wanted the book to be laugh out loud funny, but also heartbreaking and 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 violent and gross and all the things that EMS is. And um, the story, there's a, a kind of portrait of a 9-11 firefighter named Steve Gonzalez, who goes by Gonzo, toward the front of the book where we're standing shoulder to shoulder at the 9-11 memorial. And he talks about what it feels like for him to stand down there. That scene um, really made me cry my eyes out. And, and I think it's quite powerful. It's a quiet scene. Um, the, the, it's, the, it's the quiet ones. You know, I think people, people who would never walk up to a stranger at a bar and say, hey, um, you know, my name's Jennifer. What's the worst day of your life? They'll walk up to an EMT they don't yes, know. Yes, they will. They tell me about the worst thing you've ever seen. I'm like, first of all, no. 
No, in, unless you're a paramedic or a firefighter or a cop, no. And also, it's just, it's painful to be asked those questions and go through it for people. But for me personally, it's not the severe medical trauma, like the shooting or the uncontrolled bleeder or the cardiac arrest that stays with me. It's the really quiet, sad calls. Like one, one scene that didn't make it into the book that still my partner and I still talk about to this day, my partner, Nina, she... We went to a call for a man who'd been discharged from the hospital after having surgery and he had a kind of untreated wound on his stomach that kept getting infected and it was open and it smelled. And so he smelled. And so, you know, we hit the, the air in the ambulance and he, when I hit the air in the ambulance exhaust, he looked at me and said, do I smell? I know I smell. And I wanted to saw, I want, I, you know, I, I just said, it's a medical emergency. It's not your fault. It's the, we, you need to go to the hospital. And that's why it's infected. That's what's coming. That's why it's, it's, it smells. But the, just like he was, and he was such a, it was an elderly black man and he kept profusely thanking us. And he was in really bad shape. You know, he, he was in the last kind of legs of his life. And just like the sweetness and the grace and the kindness of that patient, it really touched me. And I think, again, like we never get to hear those kind of quiet stories where people are asking them, like, what's going, you know, I'm, am I dying? What's going to happen to me? Um, and we have those conversations all the time as EMTs and paramedics. And, and they're very moving conversations. And, and again, that those don't make the, the kind of drama shows. Yeah. Uh, when the general public asks you what the, what's the worst thing you've ever seen, they, they don't understand that, that uh, we're too busy in, in those, in what they would think is the worst thing we've ever seen. Uh, they expect blood and gore. We're too busy dealing yeah. with that. The things that stick with you are the, the quiet acts of humanity and, and inhumanity that that really uh adhere themselves to you and don't want to go away you know like greg freeze greg freeze has a great he has a great response and you know he's our illustrious leader all the way at the top jennifer if you don't know greg but he'll they'll, he'll say that what's the worst thing that he's ever seen he said the day they put pineapple on pizza <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's perfect that's perfect it's true. EMS personnel only bathrooms. Terrible places. Terrible places. Oh my God! Yeah, Jennifer, I'm curious. How many of your colleagues and partners play the the identify that call game? Uh, those of that have read your book, uh, that's you know anonymizing and hypnotizing uh, a, a story to to make it uh, protect someone's protected health information can be delicate sometimes and. And one of the things I've done is I'll change the sex or, or the, uh, of the patient uh, or the partner and all that. And one of the things my old partners and colleagues love to do is, is they'll come up to me and say, hey, I, I read your book and I remember that call, but you said so-and-so was your partner and I was on that call. And I was like, have your, uh, have your partners and colleagues done the same to you? They have some of them. I mean, we talked, this book was a great collaboration and that was really fun because I wanted it to be an open door for like all of my partners, anybody who has serious pages in the book, read, read their pages. Yeah. Um, if, if I felt like it was appropriate for them. And even I felt especially protective of people I came down hard on, you know, there's a scene with a boss where my partner and I get in trouble. 
and I just annihilate him in the scene. He, and, and, and I went out of my way to protect his identity and make sure that he would be unknown. And so I have had one of my partners texted me today and said, um, two donuts at a time, because I referred, <laughs> referred to him as a two donut at a time for his responder. And then he, I said, I'm sorry, you were eating a lot of donuts at that time, but I didn't want to say anything more about you. And he said, I actually ate six donuts, like at one point when we were talking, but I felt very protective of them. And because one of the th things that was happening during COVID is that it was so bad on the street. You had union representatives and EMTs and nurses. This happened across the medical field speaking to the media, telling them we don't have PPE, these numbers are a farce, people are dying in the field, um, we are not protected, we're, we're working overtime with no uh, hazard pay, and many people got reprimanded or pulled off the trucks for doing this. And I remember having a, a discussion with my, so I guess to close that thought, I felt very protective of my partners. My partners are kind of these young, ferocious, bold, young women, most of them. And the ones who've chosen to, like, they, they're they on social media, like, Jennifer is my partner. This is <laughs> who I am. <laughs> but, but the general reader doesn't know who they are in, the, in a given scene. And the same with patients. Like, if I felt like a patient was identifiable, I would call my chief and say, you know, we had this call. What do you think? Um, and he would say, this is New York City. That call comes over the air 30 times a day. Um, nobody would be able to identify who that is based on this. So I was, I went out of my way. It was, it was stressful. I mean, I'm, I was protective of the patient. I was protective of the rescuers. The police, of course, like the book goes through COVID, but it also goes through the protest, which was a very painful time in EMS as well. And the public had already immediately forgotten all of us. And didn't really yeah. even realize we were still on the street. It was like, well, okay, we're we're invisible again. But we were all at the protest, and they were they were not a great experience as an evening worker. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I, I felt very protective of people in the book. Well, it, it shows, and I think you did an amazing job. And you know, we want to be respectful of your time. And you know, just as we, the last question I think we have for you is, as people read this book. What's the one message or what's the one uh, uh, thing that you hope that they get out of this as they sit down and as they read and as they reflect on your words? What do you want them to walk away with? I think what I most want people to know is that we're human beings. We are registering an enormous amount of emotion in the field. We are also vulnerable. We need help in all different kinds of ways from fair pay to mental health services to help dealing with volatile patients. I want them to see that, but I also want to see how the kind of tenderness walks hand in hand for us in the field when we're out there doing the work and how we take care of one another. I mean, one of the most flattering responses I've gotten from the public is that it's a very sad book, but it, it's also that I think the underlying message, when you feel how much love is on the street between first responders of all political backgrounds and races and nations and sexes and voting against each other, but hugging in the street and all of this, that that's why we do this. And that really, we are so fortunate that we get to do that, that in ways that the general public doesn't. And so in, in that way, I think the ultimate message 
in this book is really a call to arms, you know, come work on the ambulance, go take a CPR class, get trained to stop bleeding and apply a tourniquet. We, we can um, join us, you know, join us on the street. It's an amazing field and it's an honor to be out there. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, I think you got a number one bestseller on your hands and promise me this. If you, they make this into a movie, promise me you'll let me play you. <laughs> you got it. You got it. All right. It. Thank you so much. Jennifer Murphy, First Responder, a memoir of life, death, and love on New York City's front lines. And I've had a great show, Kelly. I think that this is awesome. And I just yeah. want to reach out to the listeners to say, if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Go ahead and contact Inside EMS team at the show at ems1.com to share your ideas, suggestions, and feedback, or if you want to join us as a guest. But Kelly, I think we put the wraps on another great show. That's right. And you've heard what we think, and we'd like to hear what you think. Uh, thank you uh, for Murphy for appearing on the show. The name of the book, again, is First Responder, a memoir of life, death, and love on New York City's front lines, available through Kindle and bookstores uh, by Pegasus Books. I'm Kelly Grayson, and for our co-host, Chris Ceballero, and our special guest this week, Jennifer Murphy. Thank you for tuning in. We're guys next week. 